The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham. Dramatised by Ronald Frame. Episode 1. In 1919, I happened to be in Chicago on my way to the Far East. Hello? Hello? Mr. Mom? Yes? I have a call for you. Oh, th- thank you? I'm connecting you now. Elliot Templeton here. Elliot? I thought you were in Paris. No, I'm visiting with my sister. We want you to come along and have lunch with us today. I should love to. Congratulations on the success of your novel. I see it on all my friends' tables. I'm very pleased to hear that, Elliot. I'd known Elliot Templeton for 15 years. Elliot Templeton was a good friend to me. He was also a snob. He was in his late 50s now, a tall, elegant man with a distinguished appearance. He had an apartment in Paris on the Rive Gauche in the fashionable Rue Saint-Guillaume. And how is dear Queen Margareta? I'm afraid I, I can't tell you, Mrs Bradley. Oh, didn't you go and see her? She was so kind to us when we were in Rome. Mr Bradley was first secretary there. To tell you the truth, authors don't hobnob with kings and queens as a general rule. But she's such a sweet woman. I'm sure you'd like her. Louisa Bradley was a widow, a life in the diplomatic service. Two sons, elsewhere, out of my story, and a daughter, very much in it. Are we late? Isabel! I brought Larry back. Hello, Mrs. Bradley. Is there anything for him to eat? I expect so. Ring the bell and tell Eugene to put another place. I've already told him. This is my daughter, Isabel. And this is Lawrence Darrell. Isabel will always be for me what she was then, sparkling and vivacious. She was so natural that she made Elliot, for all his elegance, look rather tawdry. Her freshness made her mother, Mrs. Bradley, with her pasty, lined face, look tired and old. At lunch, they were discussing how to refurbish the dining room. Elliot had brought Gregory Brabazon, the decorator, to join us. Louis Cairns. Oh, refectory table. I see Chippendale, more in keeping with Mrs. Bradley's personality. Oh. <laughs> I always think that's so important. <laughs> Mr. Templeton, uh, do you know the Duchess of Oliphant? Mary? She's one of my most intimate friends. She wanted me to do her dining room, and the moment I saw her, I said, George II. How right you were. I noticed the room... Larry was saying nothing. He looked very young. He was tall, thin, and loose-limbed. Pleasant-looking, neither handsome nor plain. Shy, in no way remarkable. He seemed quite at ease, however. He crossed his long, fine hands. Isabel's eyes kept returning to him. They were filled with love and affection. You mustn't try to rush me. I want to have time to think it over. What do you think of it all, Larry? I don't think it matters one way or the other. You beast, Larry. I particularly told you to back us up. If your mother is happy with what she's got, what's the object of changing? An interesting perspective. And don't grin like that, Larry. Just because you yes, very unless I was mistaken, Isabel was madly in love with the boy. But there was also something maternal in her feelings, wasn't there? It was unexpected in one so young. 
Don't pay any attention to him, gentlemen. He's very stupid and entirely uneducated. He doesn't know anything about anything, except flying. Flying? He was an aviator in the war. I should have thought he was too young to have been in the war. He was, much too young. He behaved very badly. He ran away from school and went to Canada. Isabel. By lying his head off, he got them to believe he was 18 and got into the Air Corps. He was fighting in France at the time of the armistice. You're boring your mother's guests, Isabel. (laughs) Oh, you should have seen how lovely he looked in his uniform. Isabel. And such a zest for life. Larry! Oh! 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 Larry! It's great! You're nice! Dude, your shirt! Oh, oh, I told you I wanted to cool off. Try it! <laughs> Wearing this? Don't be ridiculous. Oh, the sun will dry your clothes. I can't... I can't row this thing. What do I do? Join me! Harry? <laughs> Tell me what to do. I'm going around in circles. Wait. Oh, I'm going to lose this car. You were too hot. Oh, Larry! You can swim. I know I can swim. You got a silver cup for swimming. Not in my clothes. <laughs> oh, you're impossible. But irresistible. <laughs> race you. What? I'll race you to the shore. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> hey, hey, slow down. Catch me. It's rather charming to see two young things so much in love with one another. She's 19, and he is only just 20. He hasn't got a job, he has a tiny income, and my sister's not a rich woman by any manner of means. She needs all she has. Well, he can get a job. That's just it. He's not trying. He seems to be quite satisfied to do nothing. I dare say he had a pretty rough time in the war. He may want to rest. He's been resting for a year. That's surely long enough. Who else is in the cast? I know only her Christian name, Sophie. I'm placed beside her at Mrs. Bradley's dinner table. Sophie is a shy, drab girl, to all appearances. Very thin, watchful, forcing her laughter, making an effort to be a good sort. That. Oh, that's Grey Maturin. His father's got an enormous house. He's our millionaire. We're very proud of him. He's one of the richest men in Chicago. Gray is his only son. Boy's a fine-looking fellow. He's nice. You'd never think his grandfather was shanty Irish and his grandmother a Swedish waitress in an eating house. I know several girls who'd stop at nothing short of murder to get him, but they haven't got a chance. Why not? You don't know anything, do you? How should I, Sophie? Gray is so much in love with Isabel he can't see straight, and Isabel is in love with Larry. What's to prevent Gray from setting to and cutting Larry out? Larry's his best friend. Oh, I suppose that complicates matters. If you're as high-principled as Gray is. I had a feeling this Sophie had humour and shrewdness, but kept them disguised. She was also unsure of herself. I liked her modesty, her unobtrusiveness. She left with the other young ones. The conversation at the table then turned to Isabel and Larry. They were engaged. Mrs. Bradley was fond of him and thought he would make Isabel happy. Her character's stronger than his. 
She can give him just what he lacks. I know they're young, but I'm willing for them to get married at once. Only, I can't allow it until Larry has gone to work. He's dawdled around long enough. A man has to work. He's perfectly strong and well now, isn't he? Mr. Mom is very discreet, Louisa. I should have said. I saw him observing Gray. Go ahead. Tell him. All the time Larry was away, Gray was very attentive. Mm. Isabel likes him. And if the war had lasted much longer, she might very well have married him. He proposed to her. I see. She didn't accept. And she didn't refuse. When Larry first came back, we tried to get him to tell us some of his adventures. He just laughed in that way of his and said there was nothing to tell. He hasn't even told Isabel. She's tried and tried, but she hasn't got a thing out of him. My opinion is that Larry will never amount to very much. No money and no standing. Gray Maturin is a very different proposition. He has a good old Irish name. There's been a bishop in the family. You've been away from America for so long, Elliot, you've forgotten that in this country girls don't marry because their mothers and uncles are in favour of it. I was staying at a club in Chicago which had a good library. Next morning, early, I looked in. There was only one other person there, seated in a big leather chair, absorbed in a book. It was Larry. The title of the book was Principles of Psychology. Why are you reading William James? I'm very ignorant. You're also very young. When I came back from the war, they all wanted me to go to college. I couldn't. After what I'd been through in two years, I felt I couldn't go back to school. I felt I couldn't enter into a freshman's life. No? I didn't want to act a part I didn't feel, and I didn't think the instructors would teach me the sort of things I wanted to know. When I left the library, Larry was still absorbed in his reading. I was passing the library in the evening, and the oddest thing, Larry continued to sit in the same chair, intent on the very same book. And just as odd, it seemed to me, when I was with Elliot and the Maturins, father and son, for lunch by the lake next day. You know Larry, don't you, Mr. Morn? Yes, I do. Gray persuaded me to take him into my business. The great friends. Gray thinks the world of him. What did he say, Dad? <laughs> he thanked me. He said he realized it was a great chance for a young fellow. And he thought it over very carefully and come to the conclusion... He'd have been a disappointment to me and thought it better to refuse. That's very foolish of him. It is, Elliot. I'm awfully sorry, Dad. It would have been grand if we could have worked together. (laughs) You can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. But Louisa Bradley was more succinct and more unanswerable. If he loves you, Isabel, I said, he ought to be prepared to work for you. She sent the young pair on a picnic for Isabel to talk some sense into him. No luck, Elliot told me. Isabel's been crying. Larry's going to Paris. He's going to be away for two years. She's promised to wait for him. What's he going to do in Paris all that time? Please, Elliot, I've just had this conversation with Isabel. He says he's going to loaf. What on earth do you mean? That's what he said. If I might inquire, sister dear, 
What's to happen at the end of two years? I tell you, I don't know, Elliot. Don't you think it's very unsatisfactory? Very. There's only one thing to be said, and that is that they are both very young. Hmm. It won't hurt them to wait two years, and in that time, a lot may happen. Why are you smiling, Eddie? I understand that he got a glimpse of Paris during the war, and I can't blame him if he was captivated by the only city in the world fit for a civilized man to live in. <laughs> He's young, and I have no doubt he wants to sow his wild oats before he settles down to married life. Very natural and very proper. I'll keep an eye on our Mr. Darrell. I'll introduce him to the right people. He has nice manners, and with a hint or two from me, He'll be quite presentable. A couple of days later, I'd gone to say goodbye to Mrs. Bradley and Elliot and to thank them. Isabel waylaid me on my way out. I'll walk with you as far as the drugstore. I've just remembered there's something I want to get. Ice cream sodas? Yes, please. Two sodas it is. <laughs> Another Chicago experience for you. Yes, Tell me, Mr. Mom, what do you think of Larry? I've only seen him three times. He, he seems a very nice boy. Is that all? There's something modest and friendly and gentle in him that is very appealing. You know, I have no one to talk this over with. Mama can only see things from her own point of view. She wants my future to be assured. That's... Natural, isn't it? And Uncle Elliot only looks at it from the social side. My own friends, those of my generation, I mean, they think Larry's a washout. It hurts terribly. Of course. I do love him, but he won't say what he means to do. No. He won't sell bonds or go into a law office or study medicine. A man must work, I told him, for the sake of his self-respect. When we were talking, he said something very odd to me. The dead look so terribly dead when they're dead. What do you mean exactly? Just that. You have a lot of time to think when you're up in the air by yourself. You get odd ideas. What sort of ideas? Vague, incoherent, confused. A lot happened to me then, you know. Such as? Oh, just the ordinary casual run of events. My greatest friend in the Air Corps was killed, saving my life. I didn't find that easy to get over. Tell me, Larry. I'd rather not talk about it. I'm sorry, darling. The business, like everybody else. I wouldn't want to marry an idler. How is it? Mm, it's good. Try yours. <clears throat> Larry makes me think sometimes he's a sleepwalker who is suddenly wakened in a strange place and can't think where he is. He was so normal before the war. He was so scatterbrained and gay. It was wonderful to be with him. He was so sweet and ridiculous. What can have happened to change him so much? When I got to Paris myself, I was faintly amused at Elliot's exasperation with him. I did have a kind of sneaking sympathy for the boy. I couldn't blame him for wanting to spend a couple of years in Paris, and I was prepared to launch him. 
but I couldn't believe that any young fellow in his senses could come to Paris without evening clothes. I found Larry at the dome. He was sitting by himself at a little marble-topped table on the crowded terrace, idly watching the people strolling past. I asked him how he liked Paris. I like it very much. Do you live in Montparnasse? Yes. Elliot was rather put out that the only address you gave was the American Express. <laughs> what do you do with yourself all the time? I loaf. And you read? Yes, I read. Do you ever hear from Isabel? Sometimes. We're neither of us great letter writers. She's having a grand time in Chicago. They're coming over. And Isabel were in Paris to stay with Elliot. Don't be tiresome the moment you arrive, Louisa. No one can be well turned out without a maid, and I've engaged Antoinette not only for your own sake and Isabel's, but for mine. It would mortify me that you shouldn't be perfectly dressed. Of course, you would want to buy some new frocks. I don't want to spend a lot of money, Elliot. I know. I'm proposing to pay for everything myself. I've talked to Chanel, and I've made an appointment for you both tomorrow at three. There's Larry. I'll go get him. Oh, Larry! Am I to understand that Isabel and Larry are still engaged? So far as I know. It's a worry for you when your health isn't what it should be. If I attend to my diet and take moderate doses of insulin, there's no reason why, even with an incurable disease, I, I shouldn't live for a good many years. Dear Valente. But I am anxious to see Isabel settled. I'm thinking of asking Larry to accompany us to the Tyrol and maybe Italy. Why so? So that Isabel can tell what his feelings for her are. Henry Maturin was sore with Larry for turning down the position he offered him, but Gray has talked him round, and he can go into the business the moment he comes back to Chicago. Gray's a very nice fellow. He certainly is. Oh, I know he'd make Isabel happy. Now, I've arranged some parties for you. Luncheon tomorrow and a grand dinner party at the end of the week. You'll ask Larry, won't you? He tells me he hasn't any evening clothes. Well, ask him all the same. After all, he is a nice boy, and it, it wouldn't help to give him the cold shoulder. It would only make Isabel obstinate. You sit in the armchair. It's not very comfortable, but it's the best I can offer. Is this where you live? It is. I've been here ever since I came to Paris. But why? It's convenient. It's near the Bibliothèque Nationale in the Sorbonne. It's got a bathroom. It's awfully sordid. Oh, no, it's all right. It's all I want. What's that great big book? Uh, which... On the table. Oh, that's my Greek dictionary. Your what? It's all right. It won't bite you. Are you learning Greek? Yeah. Why? I thought I'd like to. I can read Latin now almost as easy as French. When are you coming back to Chicago? Chicago? I, I don't know. I haven't thought of it. You said that if you hadn't got what you wanted after two years, you'd give it up as a bad job. I couldn't go back now. I'm on the threshold. I see vast lands of the spirit stretching out before me, beckoning, and I'm eager to travel them. What do you expect to find in them? The answers to my questions. I want to make up my mind whether God is or is not. I want to find out why evil exists. 
I want to know whether I have an immortal soul or whether when I die it's the end. But, Larry, people have been asking those questions for thousands of years. If they could be answered, surely they'd have been answered by now. <laughs> Don't laugh as if I'd said something idiotic. On the contrary, I think you've said something shrewd. But on the other hand, you might say that if men have been asking the questions for thousands of years, it proves they can't help asking them and have to go on asking them. Have to? Besides, it's not true that no one has found the answers. There are more answers than questions, and lots of people have found answers that were perfectly satisfactory for them. How long do you think all this is going to take you? I wouldn't know. Five years? Ten years? And after that? What are you going to do with all this wisdom? If ever I acquire wisdom, I suppose I shall be wise enough to know what to do with it. What about me? Am I of no importance to you at all? You're of very great importance. I want you to marry me. When? In ten years? No, now. As soon as possible. On what? Mama can't afford to give me anything. I've got a bit saved up. Don't you remember how we used to talk about traveling the world together? Of course I want to travel, but not like that. I don't want to travel second class on steamships and put up at third-rate hotels without a bathroom and eat at cheap restaurants. I went through Italy last October like that. I had a wonderful time. I want to have babies, Larry. Well, that's all right. We'll take them along with us. You're so silly. Do you know what it costs to have a baby? Do we really want to live in a sordid, beastly way all our lives with nothing to look forward to? It means that I should... Be a drudge to the day of my death. And for what? For what? So that you can spend years trying to find answers to questions you say yourself are insoluble? It's so wrong. A man ought to work. That's what he's here for. That's how he contributes to the welfare of the community. Do you think that by getting my friends to buy the securities that Henry Maturin is interested in, I should add greatly to the welfare of the community? There have to be brokers, and it's a perfectly decent and honorable way of making a living. You'd love life in Paris. This life... One can get by very nicely without going to Chanel. I've lived in Chicago ever since I can remember. All my friends are there. It's where I belong, and it's where you belong. Mama's ill, although she doesn't talk about it, and she's never going to get any better. I couldn't leave her, even if I wanted to. Does that mean that... that unless I'm prepared to come back to Chicago, you... you don't want to marry me? Yes, Larry, that's just what it does mean. If you won't listen to reason, there's nothing more to be said. But I don't think it is reason. I think you've been talking the most terrible nonsense all the time. I have? My poor Larry, you're as crazy as a coot. If you loved me, you wouldn't make me so unhappy. I... I do love you. Unfortunately, sometimes one can't do what one thinks is right without making someone else unhappy. Here you are, Larry. What? Here's my ring. It's... It's no good to me. Won't you keep it as a memento of our friendship? You can wear it on your little finger. Our friendship needn't stop, need it? I shall always care for you, Larry. Then keep it. I should like you to. It's too large for my right hand, see? Well, you, you can have it altered. I know. What? Let's go out and have a drink. Somewhere nice. All right. That doorman we passed on the way in here, 
He's never going to think I'm leaving these premises a virgin. The Ritz bar, yes? Yes. Uh, don't forget, you're, you're lunching with us tomorrow. You bet your life I won't. Come on. To the Ritz. It was in London that we met again. Do you remember, Mr. Mom, that evening we went to a drugstore and had an ice cream soda? Perfectly. You were very nice and helpful then. Will you be nice and helpful again? I'll do my best. No ice cream sodas at Claridge's, though. Let's go down and have tea. Are you unhappy, Isabel? No, not exactly unhappy. When Larry isn't there, I'm all right. It's when I'm with him that I feel so weak. I hate the idea of Larry making such a mess of his life with his learning, his dead languages. Perhaps he won't. It's a long, arduous road he's starting to travel, but it may be that at the end of it he'll find what he's seeking. What's that? Hasn't it occurred to you? God. God? (laughs) The thing that happened to Larry in the war terrible shock of whatever it was must have filled him with a sense of the transience of life and an anguish to be sure that there was a compensation for the sin and sorrow of the world isn't all that awfully morbid Hmm. one has to take the world as it comes if we're here it's surely to make the most of life you're probably right i don't pretend to be anything but a perfectly normal ordinary girl i want to have fun how much do you love him I don't know. I'm impatient with him. I'm exasperated with him. And I keep longing for him. You know, when you're in love and things go all wrong, you're terribly unhappy, you think you won't ever get over it. My dear Miss Bradley... Isabel. Isabel. You'll be astounded to learn what the sea will do. What do you mean? Well... Love isn't a good sailor. They're making money hand over fist, my dear fellow. Why, Gray, at the age of 25, is making 50000 a year. And that's only a beginning. The resources of America are inexhaustible. It isn't a boom, it's just the natural development of a great country. Henry Maturin can't live forever, high blood pressure, you know. And by the time Gray gets to 40, he should be worth $20 million. Princely, my dear fellow. I would have to say I've done very well by Henry Maturin. That business acumen of his. And your brother, too? Indubitably, Mr. Morm. Both of us. Now, at one time I wouldn't have dreamed of discussing private financial matters. Naturally not. But these are different times. Isabel's father-in-law has put our money into sound securities. They've performed really very well indeed. Elliot, however, out-siblinged her as direct as ever when we next met. So here I am in 1926. I'm nearly twice as rich as I was eight years ago, without stirring a finger even. Death, duties and war profiteering, they've ruined English society. People don't seem to mind who they know. Take my word for it, my dear fellow. English society is as dead as the dodo. Really? Yes. Irredeemably. Not that I find France much better. The great ladies of my youth, if they're still alive, they've given themselves over to piety, care of their grandchildren, and bridge. Bridge has its good It's a game I simply loathe, bridge. Society nowadays, it's manufacturers. 
Argentines, Chileans. American women divorced or separated. They're the ones living in the stately houses of the aristocracy, lording it, and the lavishness of their entertainment. You don't approve. You find there who? Politicians, speaking French with such a vulgar accent. Journalists, what deplorable table manners. And even actors. Is it all bad? Noblemen's sons marrying the daughters of shopkeepers. Ah, well. Paris is gay, yes, but so shoddily gay. Just look around you. The young are devoted to the mad pursuit of pleasure. Oh, pleasure. Nothing is more amusing, don't you know, than to go from one stuffy little nightclub to another, drinking champagne at a hundred francs a bottle, dancing along with the riffraff of the town till five o'clock in the morning. I can't stand the smoke, the heat, and the noise makes my headache. Poor fellow. Where's the fashion? It used to be, and it will be so again. Take my word. My inner monitor tells me the most beau of the beau monde. That's where you'll find us. It is Mr. Mom, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I thought it was. And you are... Do you remember dinner one evening in Chicago? Long ago now. We were seated next to each other. You asked me some questions. And... You told me who everyone at the table was. Yes, I remember. I'm Sophie. Sophie. I I never knew your surname. It's McDonald now. You're married? Oh, it's a long story. What brings you to Paris? I'm looking around. A tourist? No. No, looking for somewhere to settle, maybe. A new life. Ah. Everyone washes up in Paris, don't they? You, me. That's true. I'd love to talk to you, dinner or lunch or something. I'm expecting company very shortly, I'm afraid. I heard that Larry Darrell came to Paris. Yes, he did, but he disappeared again. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I was thinking... Uh, Let's make a date, shall we? Tomorrow? Lunch? Yes, yes, that suits fine. Excellent. One o'clock? One o'clock. The Bourgogne is rather fun. Do you know where it is? The girl next door knows everything. She'll give me directions. Well, I could tell you now, if you like. Your people have arrived, I think. Oh, I'll see you then, Mrs. MacDonald. Sophie... I really would like to ask your advice. We'll sort everything out. I promise. There were two Bourgognes in Paris. Two at least. Somehow we missed each other. Who knows how differently things might have turned out if we had only... C'est la vie. As for Elliot, now began the most splendid period of his life in Antibes. I too bought a house there, on Cap Ferrat, and so saw a good deal of Elliot. You can come to my grandest parties as a favor to me, dear fellow. (laughs) I am in your good graces. Their royal highnesses are the most... ...were due to come the following year. I want to see them all enjoying themselves. Vita brevis, carpe diem, no? In the south here especially one feels that. Life is short, so seize the day. How beautiful it all is. It's perfect. But before this year, 1929, was out, the New York market broke. I appreciate the tone of that remark. You were in Rome. Like a veritable tomb. But I was rewarded. A papal medal? More practical than that. My friends of the Vatican told me that the collapse was coming. 
They strongly advise me to sell all my American securities. The Holy Church has the wisdom of 20 centuries behind it, and I didn't hesitate for a moment. I cabled Henry Maturin to sell everything and buy gold, and I instructed Louisa to do the same. My poor sister paid no attention to my advice, and she suffered for it. The mental strain, the toll on her heart. I'm sorry to hear that. I did what I could. What about you? With crash and... You were sitting pretty? An Americanism, my dear fellow, which I see no occasion for you to use. But it expresses my situation with a good deal of accuracy. I lost nothing. In fact, I made what you would probably call a packet. Elliot kept up his standards. He didn't dismiss his staff. He didn't reduce their wages. He continued to serve the best food and wines, and royalty and nobility deigned to sit at his table. He gave generously to the bishop's charity for the workless. He lived as if there hadn't been a crisis, and half the world wasn't staggering on. But even he didn't escape so easily. How strange it is to be back in Chicago sitting here in Louisa's house to write to you, and to know that I won't ever hear her enter this room again, or look up and see her watching me with that peculiar intimate concern which siblings will use to one another. May she now rest in peace. Alas, Gray's efforts to stave off disaster for one and all, the anxiety and humiliation resulted, I have since discovered, in a nervous breakdown. His headaches would incapacitate him for the full 24 hours. They'd been reduced to living at the plantation in South Carolina, old Maturin once gave them. I cannot allow this state of affairs. Why, my dear fellow, they live there like pigs. Isabel without a maid, no governess for the children. So, I've offered them my apartment in Paris and proposed that they should stay there till things change in this fantastic country. Elliot Templeton, an arch-snob, Yes, most definitely so. But also, let me say, the kindest, most considerate and generous of men. But this is also Larry's story. Larry, we would discover, was half a world away. Good morning, Mr. Darrow. Did you have a restful night? Afraid not. I didn't get a blink of sleep. I'm sorry to hear that. You're as fresh as a daisy. How come? by meditation on the formless one. Pardon me. I found rest in the absolute. If you stay here long enough, you will understand. You will learn to sleep. I will. Everything is strange to you. But you want to learn. Why else is a young American gentleman traveling on the train to Benares? Because I happen to meet you again at the temple. Only you weren't the passenger on the ship anymore. You were wearing a saffron robe. What were the chances of me recognizing you? Perhaps you were looking for me. I think I was. Benares, my friend? I want to see the Ganges, the pilgrims. I will show you. Will you? We shall go at dawn. What happens at dawn? They stand in the river and pray. Pray to who? To what? To the rising sun. I want to meet the believers. After three decades of the 20th century, they can believe... They believe completely, with every fiber of their being. Yesterday. Yes? Back at the caves of Elphanta, the three heads, you said they were the three manifestations of the... Ultimate reality. Yes. 
You remember what they were? The creator, the preserver, the... Destroyer. Destroyer. And you told me you didn't understand. And you said you weren't surprised. Maybe I do begin to understand about the Destroyer anyway. In our Western world. Be patient. I didn't know if you were mocking me or not. A god that can be understood is no god. Who can explain the infinite in words? Yesterday, I felt my heart beating like mad. India has something to give me that I have to have. We're really proper Parisians now, okay. aren't we? <laughs> what is it? You have the Parisian's chic. Oh, merci bien. That is a compliment. Certainly it is. You know, it tickles me to death to think that we're living like quite rich people when really we're absolutely broke. Is it as bad as that? <laughs> Gray hasn't a penny, and I have almost exactly the income Larry had when he wanted me to marry him, and I wouldn't because <laughs> I thought we couldn't possibly live on it, and now I've got two children besides. It's rather funny, isn't it? I'm glad you can see the joke of it. Gray's gone to Montfontaine to play golf. He'll be in presently. You must see my two little girls. They've gone to the Tuileries Gardens, but they ought to be back soon. They're sweet. Oh, famille, I'd like that. What news have you of Larry? Ah, uh-huh. Larry. Where is he? Never far from our minds. Tell me. I haven't set eyes on him since he was last in Paris. No one seemed to know anything about him. He just vanished. We know the manager of the bank in Chicago where Larry has his account. He told us that every now and then he got a draft from some queer place, China, Burma, India. He seems to have been getting around. Do you... What's that? No. You were going to ask me something. Do you wish now that you had married him? I've been very happy with Gray. He's been a wonderful husband. (laughs) Do you know he's never said an unkind or harsh thing to me all these years we've been married? Oh, I've been very lucky. It'll be good to see Gray again. Uncle Elliot supporting us in this apartment has been a godsend. Gray's nerves went all to pieces, and he still has those terrible headaches. Even if he could get a job, he isn't really fit to take it, and naturally that worries him. Mm. He wants to work. He feels he ought to. And it humiliates him not to be wanted. You see, he feels it's a man's business to work. And if he can't work, he may just as well be dead. I'm afraid you've had a very rough time of it these last two and a half years. I don't regret anything. I had a lot of fun while it lasted, and now that it's gone, it's gone. Yes. Ruin is easier to bear in a luxurious apartment, in a fashionable quartier with a competent butler and an excellent cook, free and for nothing, and when one can cover one's haggard bones with a dress by Chanel. Uh, Isn't it? (laughs) Lambert, actually. (laughs) I see you haven't changed much in ten years. I don't suppose you'll believe me, being a cynical brute, but I'm not sure if I'd have accepted Uncle Elliot's offer except for Gray and the children. On my 2800 year, we could have managed perfectly well on the plantation, and we'd have grown rice and rye and corn and kept pigs. After all, I was born and raised on a farm in Illinois. In a manner of speaking, correct me, but didn't you first see the light of day in an expensive clinic in New York? Put a cushion down and laughed and chaffed one another... 
We talked about ourselves, other people, about books and pictures. And then, then a very unexpected thing happened. I was sitting one evening at the dome. Since the terrace was crowded, I had been forced to take a table in the front row. You don't remember me. I've never set eyes on you in my life. It's Larry. Good. <laughs> Sit down, Larry. <laughs> Have a drink. You've got on, or only fit for the garbage can. Are they as bad as all that? I never thought about it. As a matter of fact, I have been meaning to get myself a few odds and ends, but I never seem able to get down to it. Don't be a fool, Larry. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm not poor. If you're short of cash, let me lend you a few thousand francs. If you don't break the bank. Thanks a lot, but I'm not short of cash. I got more money than I can spend. Notwithstanding the crash? Oh, that didn't affect me. So, where have you come from now? India. Oh, as I'd heard you'd been there. Isabel told me. She apparently knows the manager of your bank in Chicago. Isabel, when did you last see her? Yesterday. She's not in Paris. She is, indeed. That's grand. I'd love to see her. Gray's here too. You know they're married. Yes. And is Elliot here too? No, no. He's built himself a church. What? And equipping it, so he can purchase all his wonderful ecclesiastical things. And he's really doing it for his greater glory. Elliot Templeton's. <laughs> no, no. God's. <laughs> And Gray, how's he? He's put on weight. He's bolder. How's he liking Paris? I'm afraid he's feeling rather lost here. He seems fine, but he's putting on a show. I think his confidence has taken a lot of knocks. Yeah. His confidence in himself, in the order of things. Some of the light has gone out of his eyes. You'll see for yourself. Yes. Yes, I'd love to see them. It was one day when Isabel and I were drinking tea, and Gray was sipping at his whiskey. Larry, Larry! Oh, you found us! <laughs> Gee, I'm glad to see you, Larry. Isn't this just perfect? All of us together again. Have a drink, old man. I'll have a cup of tea. Oh gosh, you don't want tea? <laughs> Let's have a bottle of champagne. I would prefer tea. You can have whatever you like. Now, please sit down. <sighs> Why didn't you come and see us at once, you horror? He's been getting himself spruced up, haven't you? And done it very well, if I may say so. <laughs> it's ten years since I've seen you, Larry. What have you been up to? Oh, I've been loafing around, you know. Europe first, and then I knocked about the East for a bit. Where have you just come from now? India. How long were you there? Five years. Did you have fun? Shoot me tigers? <sighs> no. What on earth were you doing with yourself in India for five years? Playing about. What about the rope trick? Did you see that? No, I didn't. What did you see? A lot. How many languages do you know now, Larry? Half a dozen or so. Tell me about the yogis. You got to know them? As well as you can know persons who pass the best part of their lives in the infinite. I spent two years with one in his ashrama. Two years? What's an ashrama? A hermitage. I had a tiny hut in the compound, just big enough for my camp bed, a chair and a table, and a bookshelf. Where was that? In Travancore. Where? A beautiful country of green hills and valleys and soft flowing rivers. <clears throat> Drink anyone? Oh no, no thanks, Gray. Well, I'm going to have one. What about you, Isabel? Were there other white men there? No, no, I was the only one. How could you stand it for two years? Oh, they passed like a flash. I've spent single days that seemed to me longer. What did you do with yourself all the time? I read. I took long walks. 
I went out on a boat on the lagoon. I meditated. Meditation is very hard work. After two or three hours of it, you're as exhausted as if you'd driven a car 500 miles. <laughs> and all you want to do is rest. What was your yogi like? <laughs> he never wore anything but a loincloth. And yet he managed to look as trim and neat and well-dressed as a young man in one of Brooks Brothers' advertisements. <laughs> and what did he got that particularly attracted you? Saintliness. Say that again? We've read all about our famous saints. But that was hundreds of years ago. I never thought it possible to meet one who was alive now. From the first time I saw him, I never doubted that he was a saint. It was a wonderful experience. And what did you gain from it? Peace. I must go. Oh, no. Not yet, Larry. It's quite early. Good night. I'll, uh, I'll see you again in a day or two. Where are you staying? I'll call you. Oh, don't bother to do that. You know how difficult it is to get a call through in Paris. And in any case, our telephone is generally out of order. We got hold of Larry when he called me, and we were all due to eat out, but there was a last-minute hitch. Gray's got one of his headaches. He's in agony. I can't leave him. He wouldn't go to bed when he had a headache. We found him in Elliot's library. Have you given him any aspirin? Oh, that never does any good. I have an American prescription, but that doesn't help either. Will you let me see if I can help you? And it was there, in the library, that something distinctly odd happened. There were three experiments. Larry gave Gray a coin. Make no effort, but hold the coin in your clenched fist, palm held down. Before I count to twenty, your hand will open and the coin will drop out of it. Gray's hand seemed to be worked on by some exterior influence. At eighteen, nineteen, his hand could resist no longer. Look, Mr. Mom. And the coin fell out of his hand and rolled to my feet. It was heavy and misshapen and ancient, with the youthful head of Alexander the Great on it. Let yourself go quite slack. The next experiment. Take it easy. I saw, darling. I couldn't help its rising like that. It did it of its own accord. Now, where's that Greek coin? Here it is. Experiment number three. Hold it in your hand, Gray. In 60 seconds, your eyelids will grow so heavy you'll need to close them. And then you'll sleep. You'll sleep for six minutes. Which is exactly what he did. Gosh. He's waking! I believe I dropped off to sleep. The color's back in his face, see? And my headache's gone. The awful pain is gone. Has it, darling? That's fine. Have a cigarette and then we'll all go out to dinner. It's a miracle. I feel perfectly swell. How did you do it? I didn't do it. You did it yourself. I didn't believe you could do a thing, you know. I just gave in because I felt too lousy to argue. Did you learn to do that sort of thing in India? Yes. Gray suffers agonies. If you could cure him, it would just improve his whole life so much. I can't work miracles, you know. But I've just witnessed a miracle. No. I merely put an idea into old Gray's head. And he did the rest himself. Tell me something. Why does Larry make a secret of his address? Polly, here! Hasn't it struck you that when he's with us, easy as he is to get on with, friendly, 
sociable. One's conscious of a sort of detachment in him. I suppose I know what you mean. Everyone's having fun, and then you think he's just like one of us, and then suddenly you have the feeling that he's escaped you, like a smoke ring you try to catch in your hands. Here, Folly! Here, Folly! Imagine christening a dog Folly. Oh, don't listen to him, Folly, the silly man. Are you very much in love with Larry? God damn you. I've never loved anyone else in my life. Why did you marry Gray? I had to marry somebody. He was mad about me, and Mama wanted me to marry him. Everyone told me I was well rid of Larry. I'm very fond of Gray, still. I wonder if Larry was ever really in love with you. What are you talking about? Of course he was in love with me. Well, I think he expected himself to be in love with you. He'd known you forever. It seems such a natural thing that you should marry. But you're going to tell me differently? Unless love is passion, it's not love. It's, it's something else. And passion thrives not on satisfaction, but on impediment. Is this you or the writer talking? You made a rich marriage. Larry roamed the world to find out what song the sirens sang. Passion didn't enter into it. How do you know? Passion doesn't count the cost. Passion is destructive. And if it doesn't destroy, it dies. The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham was dramatised by Ronald Frame. Somerset Maugham was played by Nicholas Leprevo, Larry by John Light, Isabel by Megan Dodds, and Elliot by Edward Petherbridge. Maturin and Brabazon were played by David Bannerman, Gray by Sam Dale, The Swami by Amajit Dew, Sophie by Laurel Lefko and Mrs. Bradley by Carolyn Pickles. The Razor's Edge was directed by Gaynor McFarlane.